millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently, and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. They locked me in in this little cell and so I was in there for four days and it just you go you go crazy in there. It's it's really, really full on. So last week we finished with Zach telling us about his first night in custody, but today Zach tells us about how he spent his sentence in a maximum security jail, Port Phillip Prison. And then he went to Fulham Correction Centre, uh, which is a medium security jail. And then the last 12 months of his sentence, he spent at a minimum security jail with no fences, no barbed wire, and he could actually look out and see the stars, which he hadn't been able to do 
at Port Phillip or Fulham, I don't think. But anyway, it's pretty hard to imagine, isn't it? Something so natural for most of us. Zach tells us some pretty harrowing tales about his time in maximum and medium security, including a traumatic four days in isolation and the desperate measures that inmates go to on the methadone program to try and get that hit again. I must admit I was pretty flippant, or very flippant actually, in my initial introduction in week one, where I made light of Zach being in isolation due to COVID. But when you hear about an incident where he was in isolation in jail for four days, I don't think I'll ever make that comment again. Oh, my goodness. It was hard to listen to, and I don't think Zach wanted to relive it again either, to be honest. Zach talks about when he found out that he'd be paroled. And again, I keep saying it, but it's just so hard to imagine. He described the last 12 days of being inside, knowing that he was going to be paroled in 12 days, was like (laughs) the night before Christmas when as a kid you can't sleep for excitement. What about the guards? How did they treat you that first night Um, at MAP? um, I think, you know, you you don't – I didn't really see myself as a – as a criminal, the guards don't know what you're in for um, that early, you know, and so they they don't know if you're a murderer, you know, or, you know, if you're just an idiot like me who's crashed the car and almost killed people, you know. Um, so they, they don't know what my level of, of criminality is and so you, you get the same treatment. So they're very, very stern and they they expect you to already know everything you're supposed to do. They, they, they expect you to know that you need to stand by your door at muster and you need to be standing during muster. And so when you're, when they came around for the first muster, which is a uh, muster is a count, right? And so they, they different jails have different amounts of counts every day, but there's usually three main ones. There's trap count where in the morning they open your cell door at about 6am and they, they require a verbal response from you to make sure you're alive. Mm. Then there's a lunch muster where they, they call muster and you stand by your cell door and they count every prisoner there. And then there's a lock-in muster uh, where, you know, you stand by your door and then they lock you in your cell. But so on my first muster, I was laying down on my bed. And when the screw came around, um, they they said to me, you, you know, what do you think you're doing, Jones? What, what, you don't think you have to stand for muster? And I was I was so confused. I had no idea. Um, and so they were incredibly short with me and it was, it was very overwhelming. Um, and it really, really annoyed them. And so, you know, straight away I was like, wow, these, these aren't really nice people. That was, that was kind of my first thought. Um, Hmm. and, and, you know, in, in jail, the, the guards are referred to as screws. Uh, that's just, that's how the prisoners refer to them. Um, and so, you know, from the second you walk in the door, all you hear are, uh, bad things about the screws, you know, no, no one tells you that they're nice people. Um, you know, all, all they tell you about is really bad things about them. And so that was my first encounter with them really. Did, did you, did you ever have a screw? I hate calling them screws, but I'll call it that because you are, but in fact, no, I won't. I'll call them a guard. You call them did a guard. You, thank you. <laughs> did you ever have a guard that treated you nicely or well that you were fond of? Um, yeah, throughout my sentence, there were 
It were offers. I'll, I'll try not to refer to them as screws. It's just it's force of habit. If I say it, I apologise. Yeah, I understand. Yep. Um, there were there were offices that were that were nice to me and that didn't treat you like a piece of crap. I don't know if I'm supposed to swear on this or not. So I I think we've I think we've heard worse. Sec. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, look, there there were a few of them that that were alright, but you know, and. And I'm not someone who, who just goes, oh yeah, they're all, they're all bad. They're all, you know, whatever. But throughout my time in jail, I was treated poorly um, or, or or treated like a a piece of crap a lot by, by different officers. Um, And whilst there are good ones, unfortunately, when you're in jail, what you have to remember is even when one of the officers has been nice to you at some point, they've probably been really horrible to somebody else. And that can be just because, you know, they might've had a bad day or a bad week or, or, mm. you know, some, some, you know, one of the crims might've spoken to them like shit earlier that day. And, and they've been in a bad mood ever since. But unfortunately, um, you know, you, you have to keep your distance from them and, and you have to, uh, not I- interact with them as, as little as possible. Um, cause otherwise in jail, if, if you're seen to be aligned with the screws, um, you're asking for trouble and it's going to end really badly for you. So, um, unfortunately the, the, the few good officers that there are, uh, are really outweighed by there's a lot of power trippers and a lot of really, really nasty officers that work there and that, that don't treat you very nicely. And it doesn't help that, that divide mm. between the officers and the, the, the prisoners. I've never really understood why, and you hear it all the time, so it must happen, but why the guards are so nasty. I mean, I know there's some, you know, really bad people in jail. I understand that. But one wrong doesn't make another wrong. Why can't they just be pleasant? I mean, as if it wouldn't be hard enough to be spending time in jail. I, I just don't understand why they're so, they've got a reputation of being, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to say it, assholes. That's that's the reputation they have. Look, and and to a certain degree, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've been locked up with some really nasty people that, that treat everybody poorly, right? And so, you know, f- you know, it'd be like working in customer service. If you get spoken to every day like shit and you're disrespected and you're and you're given attitude and mm. you know, of course you're gonna be you're gonna grow very bitter after a while. And so to some degree I understand it. Um, but at the same time it's it's part and parcel of the job and so there needs to be a certain level of professionalism and I've seen some some behaviour that is so unprofessional on their part. Um it, it just, it blows me away. And unfortunately, you know, they're not, they're, they, they, they're not held accountable. Um, there's, there's very little accountability for poor behaviour on behalf of the, the officers a lot of the time. Yes, the more I talk to people, the more I understand or realise that, yeah, their accountability, well, I suppose management and the accountability of the guards is... Uh, yeah, it needs a lot of work. So, so Zach, could you tell us about your daily? I want to go into into your time in jail. 
So this is when you're now sentenced. You've been given four years and nine months uh, parole, two and a half years. Tell me about your daily routine in jail. You did most of your time out at uh, Port Phillip, is that right? No, so I did about a month and a half to two months at, at Port Phillip. And then I, once I was sentenced, I was transferred to Fulham Correctional Centre, which is out in Sale. And I spent 18, about 18 months in, in, the, in the main Fulham, Fulham, Fulham jail, which is a medium security jail. And then uh, the last kind of 12 months of my sentence, I, I was out in, uh, in their minimum security facility called Nalu, which is an open camp jail. So what's medium? What's the difference with medium security to high security? So maximum security, there is that giant concrete wall around the perimeter, um, which is kind of what you you normally associate with jail, and it is just incredibly restrictive. So at Port Phillip, there's all different yards, and and uh, each yard uh, is completely isolated from the next. There's no movement between the two. Um, all the doors have electronic locks. So you need to stand by a door and wait for someone to buzz you through the door. And so there tends to be airlocks. So you, you buzz through one door and that, when that door closes, then, then they buzz open the next door and you, you go through that door. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly restrictive and, and you have very little freedom, um, and an ability to move around, uh, when you're at a maximum security facility, when you do a visit, you have to what you have to wear what's called a monkey suit, and it's literally just like a one-piece jumpsuit that goes over all of your clothes, and then they zip it up at the back and zip tie it closed, so you can't hide anything on your person. Okay. Um, and so you kind of look like a giant beanbag. Um, and so there's just a lot of uh, there's a lot of really restrictive things in, in maximum security. And how long did you say you're in maximum security? Uh, for two months. God. Okay. And then you went out to medium security. And what was the difference with um, the medium security? What could you do there? So at at Fulham, there isn't actually a giant concrete wall around the outside. There are there's, there's two layers of fencing. So there's a large outer fence which is made up of these giant spiked bars. And they are like, they've got to be like, I don't know, maybe five meters high. Um, and then there's a buffer zone filled with gravel. And then there's a big uh, barbed wire fence. But so you can actually see through to the outside. Um, so there's actually a bit of a view and there's not, not like a concrete wall blocking, blocking the, the horizon. So that's, that's, it doesn't seem like much, but once you've stared at a brick wall for two months, like you're happy to be looking at these bars because you can see through to the other side kind of. Mm, yeah. Um, I was going to say I can imagine, but I can't. <laughs> it's no less imposing, you know, and I I often refer to it as the barbed wire horizon because, you know, this, the skyline is still broken by barbed wire. Um, but so you, you can move around the, the jail a lot, a lot easier. So there's uh, a lot of different units. And when I say units, it's like a housing facility. So there's uh, Wellington, Yurung, L1, uh, L4, L7, L10. There's little lodges um, in each unit that you can kind of progress to. 
Um, but so you can move around. You're not allowed into a unit that you don't you don't live in, and you'll get written up, um, which is you get you get punished if you go into a different unit. Hmm. So you can walk around a lot more freely, and and it's a little bit easier to kind of gain different employments and stuff like that while you're in jail. Actually, that was my next question. So, what did you do in jail? When I when I was at Port Phillip, I I managed to get a job uh, winding vinyl or packaging vinyl tubing um, and cleaning and cleaning chairs and stuff like that for I think like contractors really. So you know they they drop off a, a truck full of dirty uh, like dirty chairs that I guess would be used at functions. And so we'd have to scrub them until they were clean or package up, uh, you know, like vinyl tubing you'd buy at, at, at Bunnings Warehouse. Um, so it was very, very tedious work. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got to Fulham, the first job that I got was working in, in woodwork um, and that was making like uh, dog kennels or, or just little knickknacks and, and stuff like that. Um, for who? Like, for what reason? For, for like farmers markets or, or, or things like that. Um, you know, occasionally they'd ask you to build stuff for the jail. Um, but yeah, look, whatever they wanted you to build, you you would kind of build. And I was working there until uh, two chisels were stolen from from the woodwork facility. And and when that happened, I was I was taken to the slot. And slot is is isolation. They they thought that I had something to do with it, which I didn't. But so they they took me to the slot and I was I was put in in isolation and that is torture um, to say the least. Um, they asked me, you know, where where the chisels went and you know who I thought had them and and even if I did know, I I, I couldn't have told them anyway because then you know if you if you tell the screws anyway, if you dob on anybody. You get branded a dog, and and you would have to if you if you if you didn't leave the jail in a stretcher, you'd have to leave the jail for your own safety. Um, but so you know, when I didn't tell them anything, they put me in the slot, and they said, "Well, at this point, we think you've done something, and you're going to Barwon." And and they locked me in in this um, this little cell, and it's all one color, so it's kind of sensory deprivation. Everything in there, oh. one color: the floor, the ceiling, the bed, what you're wearing. It's all green. Uh, and so I was in there for four days and it just, you go, you go crazy in there. It's, it's really, really full on. Um, and you've got nothing to do. You, you can't do anything. You just, you just sit there. Um, and then, you know, they kind of just casually strolled up, you know, after four days and go, Oh yeah, we're releasing you back out. Um, but you won't be working at, at woodwork anymore. And so then they let me out and, uh, well, I was uh, I was really messed up after that. It was just four days. People have done people do years in in, in the slot, and I don't know how. But uh, um, yeah, I, I, I've never been so happy to walk out to a jail. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we go back a bit, Zach? There must be, uh, and psychologists or psychiatrists would probably know this, but I wonder the reason behind making it all the one colour. I mean, I think I sort of get why they would, but I wonder why they chose, you know, that colour. And like, that must be, as you said, that must be torture. Oh, it is. And I, I think it's referred to as sensory deprivation. And, yeah. And when it's, everything's monotone, it, it does drive you a little nuts. Um, and it's, 
it's really echoey in there. So any noise you make is amplified. But so I actually, the only thing that's a different color is you have a stainless steel toilet and wash basin. It's all in one. So it's like you got your toilet and then the top of it is where you wash your hands. And so that is silver. And so literally you'd stare at that because it's the only thing that's not the same color. Um, and, and yeah, look, it is, it's, it's torturous. It's, it's punishment. You know, it's not, it's not supposed to be nice. Um, it's, it's just horrible. Uh, hello, guess who? Me again. Hey, excuse the interruption, but it's a very important interruption. We've decided to put on a show for you, my listeners, who've hung in there and waited and waited, as we have, to get this thing up and running. The show is called The Groomer. And it's about an investigation that I was part of, which centred around the distorted world of a pedophile. It's pretty raw, but educational, where I also talk about online grooming with a special guest and the damage that online grooming or grooming in general causes to all those involved. So please come and join me on Saturday, the 19th of March, 2022 at the Village Roadshow Theatre at the State Library, 179 La Trobe Street in Melbourne. 7pm start goes till about 9. The tickets are through Eventbrite. Uh, COVID rules will apply and you know the go. Masks, no kissing, no hugging, no smooches, no holding hands, no personal displays of affection. And that's just for me. (laughs) Hope to see you there. Bye. So is there anything that, apart from your mum coming to see you, and I understand with COVID she couldn't, but is there anything that you looked forward to in jail? It sounds a ridiculous question, but I'll ask it anyway. Well, do you know, and that's one of the funny things. That is where I, somewhere that I've really learned to appreciate the little things because it is the little things in jail that get you through. Uh, you know, the biggest thing every week, your, your, your biggest landmark was canteen day. So, you know, once a week, depending on what unit you're in, because they do canteen on different days for, for different units in the jail, um, your canteen day is, is your focal point because, you know, that's where you can buy, you know, lollies or, or migoring noodles, um, soft drinks and, and, and things like that. And these, those are those little things that, that just kind of help help you get through you know everyone's got something whether it's for me it was it was two minute noodles um and my my migori noodles they were what what i really looked forward to um you know and maybe a can of soft drink which actually after a while i stopped drinking because i i got really into my fitness but those are those those are those little things um you know like a pack of lollies and things like that that really really get you through and so you can buy you can buy protein and stuff like that at the canteen as well for your training which is what most of my money went on um, I can imagine, well, sort of, what do you think about two-minute noodles now? Have you had them since you left? No, actually, I haven't. Do you know I haven't had them? What a surprise. Yeah. So <laughs> there's there's loads of sodium in them and they're just, they're not healthy. It's not real food. So actually, I, I've actually... I was thinking about the psychological uh, aspect rather than the healthy or unhealthy, uh, but... Yeah, it was more the psychological when you see them. Do you, is it like a trigger for you? Uh, no, but do you know there are there are certain things that will always remind me of jail, right? And that is barbed wire 
and the sound of keys rattling. Those are two things that whenever oh, yeah. I see barbed wire or my mum grabs her car keys or I hear a set of keys jingling, it puts yeah. Because when you're sitting in your cell and you hear keys, you're like, oh, crap, there's a screw coming. Am I, is my cell getting ramped? Like, And ramped is when they, they search your cell. Um, and so, and you just never know. And so it always does put you on edge when you hear that. And that is one thing that has stuck with me. Mm, yeah. There, there's a million questions I'd like to ask you about jail, but I suppose uh, we should move on. Like it, it's just most of us have never been to jail and it's just another world. And, uh, you know, for instance, I was going to ask you what was the worst part. Well, I don't know. I, I think that going into that isolation that you said with the walls and all that, I mean, yeah, we could we could spend another half hour, or <laughs> we could spend another hour, but I suppose uh, we need to move on at some point. And because you did you did uh, leave jail, and it and that's uh, you know interesting in itself. But just before we get on to that, you said in our discussions that you don't agree with jail being called a correctional facility because it corrects very little. Uh, can you tell us, for instance, you were telling me about the difficulties of doing an educational course. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'd really love to. I think it's something that really needs to be spoken a lot more about. I think in, in jail they offer these kind of half-assed educational programs like a small business course, for example. I did a I, – I managed to finally – so after – from the second I got to Fulham, I was trying to get into uh, distance education and try and get some kind of, uh, you know, degree or qualification under my belt. I wanted to do like nutrition or, or something like that. And I was told by the lady who runs all the education that I only had two and a half years uh, non-parole period and I needed, it would take me 12 months to, to get enrolled in something. And by that stage, I would only have a year and a half, which isn't long enough to do, to study. And so they told me, you know, you can't, there's there's no point in enrolling you in anything you can't study. Uh, and so I, that was, that was the end of me being able to do like a kind of university degree or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I tried to enroll in smaller little courses, one of which was a, a, a small business course. And I, I tore through this thing like Roadrunner because it was something to really sink my teeth into. So any any chance I got to go to the, 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 the library in the computer room to, to get on and, and do these little modules, I did. And I actually sm- like smashed through this in like, you know, two months because I was just there every day. It was all I did. Uh, it's a shame I didn't, you know, apply myself that much in school because I would have been a lawyer. <laughs> Uh, but when I got to the end of it, I, I asked, I asked the teacher, I said, so am I going to get, you know, a certificate or am I going to, have I, have I earned this qualification? And he goes, well, unfortunately the jail doesn't actually offer or doesn't allow you to do three of the modules, um, that, that are a part of this course. So you've, you've completed five, five or six modules, but there's another three you need to actually get your, your cert to in, in, in small business management. And, and it was just such like a, like a, what are you talking about kind of moment? Because like, why doesn't the jail offer it? And, and they just don't. And so this is a thing, like I, all the time that I, I spent trying to 
trying to get into education. The education I did get into was a farce really, you know, cause it, it wasn't even, even the total, the total course. Hmm. And look, there were other things that I tried to do like a, like a horticulture. I tried to get my cert two in horticulture. Um, and look, probably if COVID wasn't around, I probably would have been able to complete that. But when COVID happened, you know, Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The teachers couldn't come to the jail. So, hmm. but yeah, getting into education is so hard. And I think when I, when I first got to Fulham, the first thing they asked me is, you know, do you need to be on the methadone program or anything like that? And they asked me that before, you know, do you want to complete education? And I think that, that, it, that just summarizes the jail stance on education. Like it's, it's not mm. that important to them. They'd rather put you on drugs or whatever, mm. um, then, then educate you and actually help you turn your life around. And so that's, that's from, from the jail stance, from the jail side, that's, that's kind of, or all they offer in terms of education, but then you're surrounded by career criminals and stuff and people who have no interest in turning their lives around. So you're not, mm. you're not supported by your peers, you know, in terms of, Oh, you know, yeah, you should go, go do education and stuff like that. Like it's just the people mm. you're around aren't encouraging you. Um, I would imagine you were quite one of a kind in a way for wanting to better yourself while you're inside. But then again, I suppose you knew that you were getting out at some point, whereas a lot of them in there, you know, they couldn't 
they probably haven't got a release date or it's just so far into the future that they just can't imagine, you know, they lose all hope of, I don't know, trying to improve themselves and why they might think, why would I? I think unless you're Julian Knight, you're getting a release date, you're going to get out at some point, you know, with, with a few exceptions like like the, the likes of Julian Knight or, you know, Martin Bryant, people like that, you know, you are going to get out eventually. Um, you know, I, I, I was in jail with, with people who have murdered other people who, who, who've gotten out, you know, and so people get a release date. But I think it's, for me, I've always said in jail, the best thing you can do is go with the grain and go with the flow. Um, and, you know, I, to my own detriment, I ignored that a lot because I didn't want to be a career criminal and I didn't want to to keep going down the path that I'd been down. You know, I wanted mm. to write this book and I wanted to help people change and and I wanted to be a better, the best version of myself that I could be. That really, really annoyed a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Zach, when did that mindset start? So you go in there, I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. You go in there a druggie. Yes. Harsh, but that's how it is. So... You just mentioned then about a methadone program that you're, you know, you're asked about that. When did you change from being um, a drug user? I shouldn't say druggy, a drug user. You got to call a spade a spade, in a row. Like I was a junkie. That's 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 a fact of life. That's not you being unreasonable. Oh God. Yeah, uh, I just find. Yeah, you just don't imagine junkies to be such lovely young men. But anyway, all right, so let's go. So when did your mindset change from uh, I'm a junkie to I think I'm going to have to make the most of this and do what I can and be a better person? Yeah. So, I mean, it. there were a few big signs. So for me, before I went to jail, I thought I was the biggest piece of shit in the world. I thought I was such a scumbag. I hated every fiber of my own being. I, I was so disgusted in what I'd done and what I'd become. And I thought I was beyond saving. So when I went to jail, I was put next to, to really, really bad, bad people, people who, who don't have a good heart, who, who don't care, who don't have a soul, who are just cold individuals. And when I met those people, I was like, wow, I, I have a heart, you know, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I've done bad. I'm not as bad as I thought I was. Yeah. And so, and then, and in the same light, you know, I'd see, I'd see, you know, 50 year olds who, who were just, who could not function without being high. And, you know, that in, in, in jail, there's people who are on the methadone program. Um, you know, they'd, they'd get back to the unit and they'd quickly throw up and they, what they were doing is they were throwing up their methadone and then, you know, they, they'd sell it to other people and other people are drinking, um, you know, this, this God to get high. And, and, and when I thought, because look, and and I'll admit, you know, I, I, I sunk to the level of using needles. I never shared needles. Um, but you know, that's why I do refer to myself as a junkie because as far as I'm concerned, if you use needles, you are a junkie. So, and when I got to jail, I thought, you know, there's no, there's no, there's nothing lower than that. And so when I got to jail and I saw people, you know, drinking other people's spit and vomit, and I saw people sharing needles 
and stuff like that and and how many people in the jail had hepatitis i was like wow i'm really not as helpless as i thought i was because i'd never do that and and i think it looking at that i was like jesus if if that's if that's where mm. you know things lead if that's where i'm heading yeah, if that's where i'm heading oh my god i got to get off this ride and i think i was so disgusted by some of the things that i saw mm. that it really helped me realize I wasn't as helpless as I thought I was because I'd never, you know, I wouldn't stoop to those levels to, to get, to get on drugs. And whilst drugs were readily available, I I just thought, you know, after seeing a few things like that and after seeing how, because there's to a certain degree, you know, people who, who enter drug psychosis and stuff, they can't be kept at a, at at like a psych ward, for example, they actually, cause they're, they're criminals. Um, you know, they're too dangerous to be kept in a psych ward. So you get people who have, who, who have lost their mind on drugs and are completely psychotic. And, and when you see them in jail, they're, they're so unpredictable uh, mm. and they're so, they're so dangerous. Um, and that's, that's where, that's what's happening. Like it's a testament to the ice epidemic. There are so many people in jail like that, that are completely chemically cooked. And, and in seeing that I realized I hadn't got there yet and I could, I could stop, you know what I mean? And I had the perfect opportunity to stop because, Mm. um, you know, whilst drugs were everywhere, I didn't want to, they're expensive in jail and they cost a lot. And and I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. And so for the first time in my life, I had the realization that drugs had never resolved any issue that I'd used them to try and resolve. So I was going to try something different and I had no idea what that looked like at the time. And, you know, I, you know, I, I was dreaming of using drugs for 12 months into my sentence and it took, it took that 12 months to really shake the, the physical addiction to drugs. Um, but I just, I refused to get on the, the methadone program. I actually, I even refused when, when you get to the jail, cause smoking is banned in jails. Uh, you can, you can get a nicotine, you can go on the nicotine patch program and, and before I'd ever been in jail, I said no to it. And and the person that offered, the, like the, the worker who said, look, do you want to get on nicotine patches? And I said, no, thank you. I want to try and quit smoking. They go, oh, that's really good because they, they'll bring you nothing but trouble. And then from the second I walked in the yard for the first time, the first question any prisoner asked me was, hey, you on the patch? And the reason for that is, is because prisoners have worked out how to boil the patch in water and vinegar and then soak it in tea leaves and, and smoke those tea leaves and it, and they call them patches, but so it's, it's essentially a a tea cigarette, but the nicotine Mm. from the patch is soaked into the the tea leaf. And Mm. so people have, people get savagely bashed because of politics surrounding patches and who's cooking, who's patch and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I'd inadvertently dodged a bullet there because, you know, I've seen people get stabbed because of, because they've, you know, they've given their patch to somebody else when they'd agreed to give it to one person. And, and, um, and so, and all these little things really helped motivate me to just stay away from, from any drugs and stuff like that. You know, call me naive, but I just can't get over the amount of drugs that you say, and I have no doubt that you're telling me the truth because I hear it all the time that there's so many drugs available in jail. The the only way that that could come into jail is through uh, 
dodgy guards, uh, dodgy admin, dodgy management, I just, or am I just, yeah, am that, I on that, the right it, track? Well, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you, you got to put two and two together. There's only a certain amount of ways that, that drugs can get into the, the jail. And for a while, drones were dropping stuff off, but that's that's kind of stopping now because the jails have, have started to get on top of that. But, you know, um, you know, certain things can come in through visits, um, you know, certain small packages and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I've seen, I've seen ice pipes in jail and you can't smuggle that through a strip search. You know, you, you can't, you can't, You're right. yeah. you can't, you can't put a glass pipe in your butt. Like it just, that just can't happen. And so that has to come from, from somewhere else. Um, mm. Mm. and so, yeah, it's, it, it gets in because, you know, money, money corrupts people. Oh God, it's, it, yeah, just does my head in. Uh, when, when your mum was able to visit, and I understand COVID stopped all that, but when she was able to visit, I can't imagine what it was like when she'd then leave. Can you tell us about that? Oh, um, yeah, wow. So my mum and, and, you know, my best friends and stuff, they'd come and visit me every weekend. At Fulham, the visits are just Saturday and Sunday. Um, and so, you know, um, that was really, other than canteen, it was your main focal point of the week was making it to the weekend to see, see your family and friends. And when you walk in, um, you know, you, you see them sitting at the table and, and it's so loud in there and there's guards walking around everywhere and it's, mm. it's just so nice to see them and, you know, you wrap your arms around them and you give them a hug and you tell them you love them and, and they ask you how you're doing and, and you're not doing well but you tell them you're doing fine. Um, and they ask you, you know, you know, are you safe, are you happy and you're not but you tell them you are. Um, and, and for that, you know, for, for that hour or couple of hours, however long you're lucky enough to get. Because the, the, the officers can just come up at any point and say, yep, that's it. You guys have got to move out. We need to bring other visitors in. Get okay. locked up. And there's no arguing with them. So so for that hour or two hours, you just you pretend you're not in jail. And, and when it ends, you know the first thing that comes to your head is a strip search because as soon as you finish your visit, you get strip searched. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. So that little bit of that little glimmer of, of hope that you, you, you manage to, to scrape from a visit is instantly stripped away from you, you know, and, you know, five minutes after you, I give my mum a kiss on the cheek, I'm naked in front of two officers and it's, there's no, there's no, there's no getting over that. That's never easy. And, you know, while, while I learned to, you know, make jokes about it and you get used to it and, and you, 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 you get kind of thick skin about it it's still, it still just sucks. You know, any, any, any prisoner will tell you that, that the strip searches are really, really degrading. They really, they kind of bring you back to, to reality and where you are. Oh yeah. Uh, and so your release date, tell us about the build up to your release and the actual day you were released. So when you're in jail, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't help for the first for all of my sense to really part of me was worried I was going to do four years and nine months. Um, and, and, you know, your case officers who are, who are, who are, who are officers as well, um, just normal prison guards, um, 
you're assigned one who handles all your case details and stuff like that. They always, for some horrible reason, tell you, oh, you should just work towards the, your, your end date, you know, because parole is not guaranteed. And that really crushes your soul. But so mm-hmm. I I couldn't help but try and believe that I'd, I'd get out after two and a half years. Um, and it's really, it's, it's not common that people get their earliest. doesn't matter how well they behave and how well they do everything you know, you don't get your earliest date. It's just, unfortunately, the system just doesn't work like that. So, I mean, and I was actually very lucky. I got out, you know, six or seven days after my earliest. So I, I, I was super, super happy with that. So why why were you that fortunate? Look, were you I, a model prisoner? Would you what you'd call a model prisoner? Yeah, and look, I'd, I'd, had, I'd had incidents in jail and, you know, I'd, I'd you know, um, I hadn't, I had made some mistakes while I was in jail, but... You know, I think it was, I did my best to treat everyone around me with respect, um, you know, and and I think the interactions that I'd had with with teachers and staff and, and, and stuff like that, you know, they, they, all, they all write reports and I did, you know, offender behaviour programs which are required to, to be eligible for your parole. And so they, they look at your offending and your drug abuse and shit like that. And, and the, the clinicians uh, write a report at the end of that. And so, you know, and I, I applied myself as much as I could to those. And I think that reflected in my, in, in the reports that they wrote. And, you yeah. know, everyone knew that I was writing a book and everyone knew of my, my plans for, for getting out. And so I think all those little things helped, but I think honestly, my, my mum, when it started coming towards my, the end of my non-parole period, my mum was on the phone every day, you know, <laughs> hassling parole. Seriously, like, Good I, on I, you, Jane. I'm, not, I'm not joking. This, my mother was, was hell bent. She was not taking no for an answer. And the thing is, it's so hard to get a straight answer. In fact, it's impossible to get a straight yeah. answer from the jail or from parole, right? Yeah. But yeah. when my mum started getting straight answers and, you know, I'd call her and she'd be like, yeah, look, you know, parole's told me about this, this, and, you know, they've they've transferred your case to a different um, office because the Ringwood office is really inundated at the moment. You know, and my mum actually started getting progress. And so because of – because of Why doesn't that surprise me, Zach? Yeah, well, I mean, and that's, she, she can be so relentless and it's it was that unrelenting – determination that really um, made sure I didn't slip through the cracks, you know, and so I was so lucky that I had that support behind me. Tell us about the day of your release. Um, I mean, I dreamed of it for for 912 days Uh, and and I used to go to bed every single night and I used to think one day I'll be getting out tomorrow. I used to say that to myself every night. Yeah. And, and that day finally, I mean, first of all, I got handed a piece of paper, just casually, just, we were getting locked in one day and, and just casually my caseworker just handed me this piece of paper and then locked the door. And, and I looked at this piece of paper and I, it, it might as well have been in Chinese at, at first because I just couldn't believe what I was reading. It said, parole granted, 6th of December is your release date. And, and I was like, temporarily dyslexic I couldn't read it I couldn't actually process what I was reading it was and it and so I spent this whole whole lock-in just just sitting on on a, on a couch just like holding this thing in front of me like it's like it's like it like I'm Charlie with a golden ticket and, 
and it was two weeks away from, from the date. And so I, I was two weeks out from getting out of jail and it was just, it, I, you know, I, I cried, you know, God, did I cry? I'm getting emotional thinking about it now. And I still have that piece of paper. I, I'll probably frame it, but yeah. you know, I, <laughs> I couldn't, I, I, was, I couldn't wait. I was so excited and I was going to call my mum and tell her, Oh, look, I've, I've got my parole. And you know, my mum being the blood hand that she is, she already knew. I was just going to say she knows. She hustled parole that much, and they don't usually do this, but she hustled parole that much. But she found out more or less before I did that I got my parole. So, you know, kind of spoiled the surprise on that one, Mum, but it was, uh, you know, bless her little cotton socks. She, uh, and I can actually hear her laughing in the background now. Yeah, I can too. how it is. So, um, and I... I mean, I was, I was so happy and, and so, you know, time moves so slowly. It was like, you know, when you're a child and it's the night before Christmas and you can't close your eyes. Yeah. Um, and that's what it was like for 12 days and, until I got out of jail. But that day came around fast and, and, you know, I've I, in jail, you know, I've, I've, I made some so, like some really close friendships when you live and breathe with somebody and you're in a struggle together, you yeah. get really close. And so I'd seen, you know, countless of those really close connections that I'd made get out and I know how, how painful and bittersweet it is because you're happy to see your friends go, but, you know, you, mm. you don't want them to go because you don't want to not have them as a kind of like as a support. Mm. And so, you know, and for the first time I was leaving my friends behind and, and, and that's bittersweet too because it's, you know, like I've got some, there are some, some grass people who like me have just made some really poor choices and they want to turn their lives around and, you know, so now I'm leaving them and now they've got to kind of battle on without me. Um, so that, that was really bittersweet, but I remember walking out the front gate and, and because when you, when you, when you're getting out of jail from Nalu, they still have to take you back into the main prison because you have to go to medical first and you have to go do your property and, and all, all that kind of stuff. And so they walk me through the car park to the main and I actually saw my mum getting told off by an officer. If you wanted <laughs> She wanted to record me walking out of the jail, and they're like, "No, you can't record a, a prison. That's that's like a security risk. You can't do that." Yeah, yeah. And so I, I couldn't go up to her yet, but I, I said, "Hey, mum," and she turned around, and you know, she saw me, and she wanted to run up to me, and I, you know, she couldn't yet because I was technically still a prisoner. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of ruined the initial like run, that that running up to each other in slow motion and giving each other yeah, a hug. Yeah. It kind of ruined that moment. But so. Yeah. Then, for about 45 minutes to an hour, I was um, getting processed in the main and then I walked out with, with my bags and and that was it. And they kind of just like, you know, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. And <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. And and you're still, in, like, and you are, after two and a half years, you're institutionalized. And even walking mm-hmm. to my mum's car with my bags, I'm just waiting to get tackled by a, by a security guard. Yeah, or... Um, yeah, or um, tapped on the shoulder. Yeah, you know, been a mistake, like, yeah. mate. You got to come back in. You're not. You're not leaving today, or, or something like. Oh that. yeah. And mm. and I just I got to the car and I just I wrapped my hands around my mum and I gave her a hug and you know she saturated my t-shirt. <laughs> uh, Did you cry? Yeah. Look, I I, I shed some tears too. Uh, I you know it was just. I'd been waiting for it for two and a half years and I'd been working so hard on myself and, yeah. and I, I was, I was finally at that, 
that moment where I, I got to start living the rest of my life. Um, and me and my mum, you know, we, we had the radio up full blast, <laughs> banging all our favourite mu- uh, music, singing like idiots. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we stopped on the way home and I, I had sushi for the first time. And, you know, I was looking around me and because and, in jail, everyone trains and everyone's always working out. So everyone's really muscly and like super, super fit. Okay. And I'm walking around going, well, everyone looks so small and, and frail out here. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the opposite and think everyone's so bloody fat. No, everyone looks <laughs> small and frail and it's like, wow, okay. Um, oh, yeah. righto. No, and so I had to get used to wearing a mask because they, they tried to do the mask wearing in jail for a while, but it, it wasn't really effective and, and, you know, getting a bunch of criminals to cover up their face isn't really a smart idea. Uh, it was also, yeah, good a point. Of, yeah. A lot of the really old school criminals, you know, would tell me like, if you cover up, if you used, before COVID, if you used to cover up your face, they'd assume you're trying to start a riot and, you know, yeah. they'd lock yeah. the whole jail down. And mm. so they couldn't believe that, that guards are actually telling them to, to cover up their face. Um, but so, you know, and so, yeah, when I, when I was out, I started, I started having to get used to wearing a mask cause you know, you gotta be COVID safe and all of that. And, yeah. uh, and it was just, it was incredible. It, <laughs> there were so many little things that, I, that I've had to kind of get used to, um, you know. So, for example, when I, when I got out to Nalu, you live in, in four-man cottages and, and you have a knife block that has nine knives in it, four steak knives and then, you know, like a, a bread knife, a, a couple of kitchen knives and stuff like that. And they're untethered. So it's a, it's a real trust thing out there because you cook all your own food out at, out at Nalu. So, uh, and when they come around on muster, all the knives have to be in the knife block. And if they're not, well, it's, it's a big problem. It's uh, like the missing chisels. Yeah. It's like the missing chisels and it's like, where are the knives guys? Like, and it's really serious. And so, you know, when I got home one day I was in the kitchen and I was, I was cleaning up and I turned around and one of the knives went in the knife block and I actually had anxiety. I'm like, Oh my God, where's this knife? Yeah, and, yeah. and my mum was like to me, Zach, relax, you know, it's just in the dishwasher. And and that's another thing that I forgot existed was a dishwasher. You know, I, when I, the first week I got out, I was washing everything by hand. And my mum was like, what are you doing? Just put it in the dishwasher. Oh, okay. yeah, right. And so, you know, there, <laughs> there are little things like that that have just, that I've just forgotten about, you know, sitting out underneath the stars and looking looking up at the stars at night. You, you can't, oh, see, wow. you can't yeah. see them at night because there's, at night there's, big spotlights or big, big lights that, that illuminate the yard and, and you can't see, see, see the sky. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of, there have been so many little things that you just, you wouldn't even think about that you take for granted. Pretty difficult listening, wasn't it? But it ended on a, a good note with Zach talking about being paroled and his overly excited mum uh, waiting for him outside the prison and, as he says, starting the rest of his life. He had sushi uh, for the first time and how small and petite he found everybody because everyone in jail works out and they're the, the size of mountains. Um, so next week is the third and final part of my interview with Zach. He talks about freedom and the little things that nearly every one of us takes for granted and how Zach is thankful for every day and how he treasures that. Hey, it's Narelle here again. 
Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much.